Good morning. Good morning. All right. A couple people awake. Lizzie, you and Elijah match. <laughs> it's cute. <clears throat> Mark chapter 7. We're going to look at a question today. And it's a great question. And it's a question that all of us need to answer. Because without answering the question, we're lost. The sermon is entitled today, Are You Sure It's Inside? My wife was vastly confused by the title this morning, but I, I promise I'll bring clarity as we go along. But that is a great question, is are you sure it's inside? Because we're in a section of the Gospel of Mark that's talking about the inward man. It's talking about the heart, and I'm not talking about the little muscle in your chest that goes pump, 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 right? Right? We're talking about the inward man, the spiritual man. And that's what Christ is addressing this morning. We have a lot of people that are willing to say some people are really evil. And on one hand, that statement is true. There are some very evil people out there practicing evil openly. But it misses the point. Another one is I'd never do that. Again, it misses the point. I'm a good person, and I'm definitely not like, put whatever you want there. There's a notion that humans are basically good. We have an intrinsic goodness in us somewhere, and everybody has that. And it is environment and external factors that make someone go bad. If you don't believe it, get into psychology. Get into sociology. Get into the Bible. Because that's exactly what Christ is addressing in this passage of Scripture. He is addressing the fact that man thinks himself intrinsically good. So why do we have a problem with that? Biblically, why is there a problem with that? Because it flies in the face of the opening chapters of the Bible. Genesis 1, Genesis 2, and Genesis 3. And when we get those wrong, we've gotten everything else that follows wrong. Because Genesis 1, 2, and 3 show us the depravity of man. It is complete, it is full, and it is always so. We are born depraved. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We don't need to teach man how to sin. We don't need to teach man how to reject God. Man is born to reject God. Man is born inherently evil and wicked. There is no good in him. That's what the word depraved means. There is nothing good in a man that will bring a man to righteousness before a holy God. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us that the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Israel understood this at one point. People need to understand this because this is where the gospel comes from. Right? The gospel meaning what? The word gospel means good news. And again, as we've all heard a million times, there has to be bad news to understand why we need good news. External factors just give us a unique opportunity to show the wickedness of our hearts. It is not... A bad environment that makes me bad. 
It's a bad environment that makes me feel comfortable to express the wickedness that is already in me. It is not bad parenting that makes me bad. It is bad parenting that sometimes can spur me on to be a more bad person. To show what is already there. To deny the truth of our evil desires and our lusts and our evil and wicked thoughts and intentions is to deny the core of the gospel. It's to deny the core of who God is as holy and set apart. It is to deny the very basic fact of why the Bible was written. Because man is evil. James 1.15 tells us, For out of the lust, once lust is conceived, it gives birth to what? Sin. So if there is a process before we get to the outward sinful expression, it has to start inside. Because the outward expression of it is just revealing what's already there on the inside. I could get into a huge argument right now, but I'm going to forego that for another time. But we need to look at the fact of our externals are just giving validation to the internal. That's it. Our externals are a mirror of the inside. Scripture says that. Scripture teaches that. Genesis 1, 2, and 3 affirm that. And the rest of the Bible falls in line to show us that that is the truth. And Christ addresses that here in our passage this morning. John MacArthur said, Judaism became a breeding ground for hypocrisy, externalism, and superficial legalism. Why? Because as we get to this section of Scripture, we see that in Judaism, they have forgotten what the Old Testament said. They've forgotten that it said that man is wicked and deceitful above all things. They've forgotten that man fell in the garden, not because life wasn't perfect, but because he was wicked and evil. We look at the garden, and it was perfect. Man walked with God in the cool of the mornings. Man had perfect fellowship with God. And yet, in his depravity, he still chose to cling to sin. He still chose to follow the ways of wickedness. Even though everything was perfect. Therefore, environmental factors are just an expression of what we already are. They're not the source of why we are what we are. They're an expression and an opportunity to portray that which we are. Jesus confronted this false idea head on. In our small, short little text this morning, we see the word defile or defiles five times in a short little text. And it's important because Jesus is defining where defilement comes from. Moral corruption never originates outside of the person. It is always and fully on the inside. And Jesus hit that truth head on every time. And we wonder why people hated him. Because man doesn't like to be told that he is wretched, that he is wicked, that there is nothing good in him, that he will always choose his sin. Man does not like to hear that. But it's the truth. And man hates truth. Because it exposes him for what he is. It exposes him as one that is unholy and worthy of the condemnation of hell. 
which is not a death and separation from God. It is a death and a for eternal torment forever in the presence of God and his angels. The scripture tells us that. But it is the removal of God's grace and God's mercy and God's compassion and his love. That's what hell is. It's a removal of certain attributes of God that God no longer looks with a loving, compassionate heart and, and gives mercy and grace, but he gives eternal punishment for that which is due. That's where we have to start. We have to start with the heart of man that is desperately wicked. Because if we don't start there, the rest of this doesn't make sense or we get it wrong. And the church today still, as in this day, gets it wrong. Because we are unwilling to acknowledge the depravity of our hearts. And we're unwilling to use the crutch of, well, I was raised this way. Bible doesn't say you're an evil, sinful person if you're raised a certain way. If that was true, why the cross? If that was true, why weren't the Pharisees the most righteous people on earth? Why was John the Baptist called righteous? See, he didn't grow up in a great, externally popular, well-to-do way. He grew up in the desert, eating locusts and honey and wearing camel skin. He was on the fringe of society. So why was he righteous? Why was he the greatest man ever born of a woman? The words of Christ. It's because he understood the heart. He understood the message of the gospel. One had to come of whom he was not worthy. The greatest words that he spoke was he must increase i must decrease why because there is the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world of whom i am not worthy to even untie the thong of his sandal he was not worthy to be at the feet of his lord he understood he was wretched he understood his position before the holiness of god god eternal the second person of the trinity in the flesh he was not worthy. Do you know, I had a conversation last night. I have a lot of conversations, but I had a conversation last night in the particular aspect of worship because we were talking about worship. And the fact is, we as humans made in the image of God are not worthy to worship God because of our depravity. But God in his grace cleanses us through the blood of Christ and makes us worthy to worship. How dare that we not? If God takes that which is not worthy of worshiping him and makes us worthy, how dare we not do it? We have such a privilege to worship such a one as our God. Do we take it seriously? Do we desire it? Do we love it? Do you enjoy it? Do you come here because it's for the Lord? Or do you come here seeking something for self? Because we're here to worship a holy God. That's why we're here. We're here to acknowledge his worth, his headship, his glory, his righteousness. And the awesome thing about that is when we worship God, God still gives a blessing. He still gives a blessing. 
How many of you walk out of here absolutely like feeling this was the worst time that you ever spent? No. But we're not here for self, and yet we still are added to the blessings of God from the richness of His Word as He gives understanding through His Word, as He gives understanding of how we are to worship Him and how we are to come before Him. We derive great benefit from that. You cannot be in the presence of God and not gain benefit. That's who God is. He is so rich. And even his presence gives that richness. Again, moral corruption never originates outside of a person. It's inside. It's already there. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at two points this morning. We're going to look at our insides exposed. And then we're going to look at the truth expounded. And I'm going to apologize because... This might be a little bit longer than typical, but that's okay. That's why we're here. If you're not there, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 14. After he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from the outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into the heart, but it goes into his stomach, and it is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within and defile the man. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and the blessed grace and mercy that we have to come and to worship you today. Father, we just pray for your spirit of wisdom that we may worship you in spirit and in truth, that we may worship you with a whole heart, with all our heart, our minds, our souls, and our strength, that we would continue to make much of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would continue to be strengthened to proclaim the gospel, that we would continue to be strengthened to worship you each and every moment of every day. And Father, we just continue to proclaim that you are worthy. We continue to look forward to that blessed day when our hope will be realized when Jesus Christ comes back to receive his bride to himself. And with the Apostle Paul, we continue to cry out, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But Father, in the interim time, may we be found faithful. May we be found going about the work that you have ordained for us to do. That we would be found faithful men of the gospel. That we would continue to preach the gospel to a lost and desperately wicked world.
Father, may we take heart knowing that you have already overcome the world. And we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you sure it's inside? Again, if it's not clear, it should be, and it will be. That answer is yes. Yes, it is. And Jesus exposes the insides of a man in verses 14 through 16. We had, in the beginning of this chapter previous, we had a head-on collision between Jesus and the Pharisees over tradition. And Jesus hit them square between the eyes of tradition is worthless when it is rooted in man's tradition. The tradition doesn't buy you righteous standing before a holy God. Tradition doesn't make you clean. Tradition doesn't deal with the internals, it's the externals that it's showing. Jesus continued to rail against the Pharisees on their blindness, their willing blindness to wickedness, their willing blindness to deal with their own sin, their willing blindness to lead men to hell willingly with great exuberance. He hits at the heart of the debate. And it's after that setting that Jesus now begins to address the crowds again. And he says this in verse 14, And after he called the crowd to him again. Trust me, when Jesus and the Pharisees collided, it drew a crowd. People were absolutely interested in wanting to know what is going on. And man, this guy's got great boldness to confront the rulers of Israel. It's an interesting thought, right? To confront the ruling powers with the truth of the word of God. Right? Jesus didn't hesitate. He didn't pull any punches. He didn't sugarcoat the truth. He always confronted the truth to the lie. Because he is truth. Again, we go back to understanding the person of Christ. He's God in the flesh. He is truth. He defines truth. He tells us what truth is. So he calls the people to him, and he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. Jesus here is emphasizing the fact that what he is about to say carries an impact of eternal consequences. That they need to listen and understand because it holds eternal value or eternal consequences depending on if they get it right or if they get it wrong. They needed to have ears to hear what Christ was saying because he's speaking life and truth. They needed to be willing to listen to Christ and hear with an understanding heart. They needed to apply themselves to the truth. No less than we do. When we hear the word of God, do we apply our hearts to understanding it in seeking him? Now, it's interesting because we're on the other side of the cross, right? Therefore, we have the spirit of God working in us and giving us wisdom. But faith was no different before the cross. It was still faith in the work and person of Christ and the truthfulness of God. Therefore, we always have had to apply our hearts to the truth of God's word. 
and to put our faith in the fact of if God said it, it is true, and I believe it, and I love him for it. That's where we need to be. And he calls to the people to himself to listen and to understand. It's not just one thing to hear words spoken. We all hear, right? Every one of us have ears to hear. But do we understand? Because one person, right? Anybody ever play the game of telephone? Yeah. Everybody hears. Everybody hears what was spoken at the beginning. But what happens? It gets lost in interpretation as it goes around. Anybody ever play the game of telephone and what came out at the end was what started at the beginning? Couple? Yeah. Doesn't happen very often, though. But again, it's going back to, are you listening and hearing and comprehending? Or is somebody surreptitiously changing it? And are you able to spot that? Right? Because that's what it gets down to. There's plenty of false teachers. If you don't believe me, scroll the internet. There's a lot of false teachers. But are we willing to listen to the truth, to hear and to understand? Christ goes for the heart always. He is always passionately driving at the heart of a man. Why? Because as Jeremiah said, the heart of man is deceitful and wicked above all else. So if it is deceitful and wicked and deplorable and depraved, Christ has to go to the heart in order to bring about a change. Because if the heart doesn't change, it doesn't matter what the outside looks like. That's what Jesus is hitting at. Your heart is despicable. Who cares what the outside looks like? Now, the outside will show eventually what is in the heart. It always does. You can't hide your heart from people. After a while, people are going to see it. Again, it goes back to that truth. You and I were just talking about that this morning, Mark. Is Your sin will always find you out. Eventually, it comes out. Jesus explains here where true defilement comes from. He says there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. He just had an argument with the Pharisees on washing their hands before they ate food. Bless you. What he's saying is it doesn't matter if your hands are dirty and you eat food. That is not going to defile the inward man. Physical does not impact the spiritual on the inside. If I partake of food, that's not going to change what's here. If I wash my hands, that's not going to change what's here. If I take a shower, it's not going to change what's here. If I get baptized, it's not necessarily going to change what's here. Because it has to do with the heart. It has to do with repentance. It has to do with Christ and the gospel. It has to do with hearing and understanding. The externals will come later. The good ones, right? Ceremonies mean little. Ceremonies don't make us pure or impure. Because we're already one or the other, right? We're already either or. Again, it's that same dichotomy that we see throughout all of Scripture. You're either for God or you're against Him. There's no middle ground. There's no middle road. There's no other way. It is either this or that. Period. Full stop. 
doesn't change our standing before God. Only God can change our standing before him. Only God can change our standing before him. We cannot. You cannot. Nobody can. That's the point of the gospel. That's why Jesus continued to say, hearken unto me and listen and hear because he was giving spiritual truth that man desperately needs to hear. That his truth is the only way. God still speaks that truth today. Jesus Christ is the only name given under all of heaven by which men must be saved. It is exclusive. It is intolerant of any other way. There is one way, and that's through the cross of Jesus Christ and his shed blood and his resurrection that proved the atoning sacrifice was accepted. It is through Christ and Christ alone that man will ever find salvation and right standing before a holy God. There is no other way. That which is physical and outside the body will never have an impact on the spiritual man. It's not to say things don't harm us, okay? It's not saying things aren't going to try us, right? Look at Job. God enticed Satan, right? Have you looked at Job? Yeah, God allowed, but he set his boundaries. You know what that is? That should give all of us hope because that is one of the greatest expressions. One, we get to see in the courtroom of heaven, which we never get to see, right? We see God dealing with Satan. Satan's coming and getting his orders. And God says, okay, you can have all this, but here's your box and you will stay in it. And then it also gives us the encouragement because those who are in Christ can never be snatched out of his hands. Was Job's faith weakened through his long debate with his friends? Yes, because Job thought he could prove his case before God that he was righteous. But he never lost faith in God. He never cursed God. He put his full faith in the finished work of Christ before Christ walked the earth. Again, faith has been the same. Why? Because God is immutable and he doesn't change. He has always given one way to him, and that's through faith. Faith in the fact that he is holy and righteous and just and true. Matthew's account in Matthew 5.11, it tells us, Jesus also said, that which proceeds out of the mouth is what defiles the man. Right? It's not that I partake of food with dirty hands. That is not going to defile me. Why? Because it goes into the stomach and it's expelled. But it's what comes out of the mouth that is produced from the actions in the heart intent, right? It's our hearts that produce the words that come out of our mouth. And sometimes, yes, we are good at hiding our heart intent by sugarcoating our words or changing them a little bit or making them sound a little better. But out of the mouth, the words of the heart are spoken. James chapter 3. James spent 10 verses exclusively on the wickedness and the evil of the tongue. Because out of the mouth, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he said, what? Who can tame the tongue? No one, for it's a restless evil full of wickedness. Why? Because the heart is deceitful above all else. 
It is desperately wicked. And if the tongue is the vessel of the heart, it will never be tamed by man. That is James's point. So you need to come under the control of the Spirit to have a heart change, and the heart change produces a different tongue. We speak with a different language. Do you understand that? When you have a converted heart and a heart that has been crushed and made new, we have a different mouth. We speak differently. We have righteous words come out of our mouth. We have truth come out of our mouth. We have love come out of our mouth. That's the whole point. Proverbs chapter 6. I'm going to read a couple verses out of Proverbs for you. If I can get there. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 12. A worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a perverse mouth. Why? Because out of the mouth, the heart speaks. Proverbs 15, verse 28. Proverbs 15, verse 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. But the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Again, Solomon understood the differentiation in the heart of a man and how that man talks and how he speaks. Right? Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians. Talking about coarse jesting and and abusive speech, right? That ought to be far from us. Why? Because we have a different heart. Because our heart has been changed, therefore our speech is changed. There's a connection. And Jesus is pointing that out to the people. What your heart is comes out of the mouth. So it is not only our speech, but it's our hearts, it's our thoughts, it's our desires, it's our attitudes, which makes themselves known most often through speech, but also through our actions. Again, Jesus is going for the full heart here. It's not just your speech. Because your speech is a result of your heart. It's the desires. It's the lusts. It's the thoughts of your heart. That's what God is after. God is after the inward man. That the outward can express truth and righteousness because of the inward change. That's why I've been called a new creation, a new creature. The old heart has been put to death with Christ on the cross. The new heart is the new man that God places in us. Right? Ezekiel 36. I have removed the heart of stone and I give you a heart of flesh. It's that understanding that it's an inward change. This truth that he speaks here in verse 15 was absolutely shocking to the people. Because it was so vastly different than what they're getting, right? They're getting Judaism. The external rituals and the external things that I do make me righteous. I look good, therefore I must be good. And Jesus is saying, no. 1 Samuel 16, 7, God said, I look at the heart, but man looks at the outward appearance. 1 Chronicles 28, 9, God says that he knows the intent of the heart. Therefore, he's saying, your externals are mere fantasies. If you produce self-righteousness and you look good outward, but inward, you're what? You're defiled and empty and dead. How do we know that? Well, 
He told the Pharisees that many times. So it begs the question. If Jesus is telling them it's no longer the outward things that define the inward man, because it's the man's heart that he's after, why the Levitical law? Which condemned certain foods, had certain ceremonies. So why that? Because we know that God is immutable, meaning that God doesn't change. So if Jesus is saying, no longer are the things written in the law that which you have to follow, what happened? Well, let's talk about it. Because it's important, right? Because we could go off on man's idea and say, see, the Bible contradicts. If Jesus is truly God, he just said, oh, you can throw the whole Old Testament out the window. Well, that's not what he says. Let's look at it. He called, there are certain foods that were unclean. Leviticus chapter 11, verses 1 through 47. There's a list of foods that were unclean. Secondly, ceremonially unclean. Chapter 13 in Leviticus, leprosy, you were ceremonially unclean. Leviticus chapter 21, touching dead bodies, you were ceremonially unclean. Leviticus 15, menstruation, you were ceremonially unclean. So what is this? The intent was that these symbols, these outward symbols, were to express the truths, the deep truths of the mind of God. They were there and set up to teach as a lesson, as a symbol of heavenly thought. Again, mere mortals don't understand the mind and the heart of God. But he speaks in a way to help us to understand. How do we know that? Again, if God is immutable, how is that true? Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to, start, we're going to go through six different things that show that the Old Testament law and rituals were there as a symbol to point us continually to Christ. Okay? So, first we're going to talk about the priesthood. The priesthood was a symbol of that which was heavenly. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 5. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 5. For he's talking of priests as they who serve as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. Just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle for saying, he says that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you in the mountain. God designs things around truth, which is himself. And you have no better picture of that than the perfection in heaven. And God was very specific. You are to do these things and serve in this way as a mirror of how it's supposed to be. Secondly, sacrifice. Turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Sacrifices were given as a representative of the pointing ahead to the fact of they don't satisfy, right? Only one satisfied, and that was Christ and his blood. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13 and 14. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Again, the sacrifices were always pointing to the final atonement of Christ to what he was going to do. That's why they were continually offered year by year. But Christ was offered once because it was sufficient. Thirdly, the holy place. Stay in chapter 9, look at verses 9 through 11. 
All right, let's start in verse 8. For the Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle was still standing, which is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both the gifts and the sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience. Okay? So again, it was always meant to point to Christ. How about the Mosaic Law? Chapter 10, verse 1. The Mosaic Law. For the law, since it was only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which they continually offer year by year make perfect those who draw near. Again, it's pointing out the reality and the spiritual truth that there was only one way to God, and it was never through the sacrifices of men. It was through the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross. How about the internal versus the external? Chapter 10, verse 22. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from our evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Again, it's continuing point to the inward change of the spiritual reality. Lastly, circumcision. If circumcision was given to make one righteous, we're going to look at that. So go to Deuteronomy chapter 10. We're going to go backwards first. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy 10 verses 12 and 13. We address circumcision. Deuteronomy 10 verses 12 and 13. Now Israel... What does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and love him, and to serve the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. God continued to point out the truth that it was the heart of man that he was concerned with. How about Romans chapter 2? Go to Romans chapter 2. Paul talked about the circumcision of the heart as well. Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew who is one inwardly, or outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. Do you know this ties back to the prophet Hosea in chapter 7, and also Ezekiel in chapter 36? This is not a new truth, but it was a truth that Israel was blind to. I'm a Jew because I was born of the seed of Abraham. Well, what about Abraham? Romans chapter 4 tells us that he had the sign of circumcision after he was called the father of faith. It was not because of circumcision that he was the father of faith. Circumcision was given as a sign after that. Faith came first in believing the word of God. Following the law, following ceremony, was to be done with a heart of faith and love. 
right? Go back to Deuteronomy 10. That's what he was saying. It's out of a heart of love, right? What did Jesus say? If you love me or what? You will obey me. Again, an inward change is seen in the outward expression. Not just of the mouth, but also of the action. If we love God and say we love God, we will live a righteous life. By his power for his glory. It was salvation by faith, not works. The law, the fruit of the spirit, Christ's commandments, we obey them out of love. We obey them out of a heart of faith. In the Old Testament, it was following the law. Why? Not because the law saves, but because the one who gave it said, this is how I desire you to live. And I desire you to live by faith. That if you come before me and you do these things, you will be saved. Right? It was out of a heart of faith. And a heart of faith loves the one who is the object of that faith. And if the heart loves the one who is the object of that faith, he will obey that one. It's still the same gospel. It's still the same message. It hasn't changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament or the Intertestament period. Nor will it change in the future. For there is one gospel, one Lord, and one church. And Christ is the head of that. Matthew 23, verse 27 and 28. Jesus drove this point home to the Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like a whitewashed tomb. For on the outside you appear beautiful, but inside you are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Do you know Paul had similar words for Titus? Titus chapter 1. I'm going to read it for you this morning. But Titus chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, Paul says this, For to the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Again, the whole Bible agrees that man's heart is the issue. And there's only one who can change it. Jesus explained that truth to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, right? That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He was giving Nicodemus the same understanding. Is it's not the flesh that I'm worried about you going back in your mom and being reborn. It's the heart, it's the spirit, it's the inward man that's the problem. It's the inward man that has to change. And the outward and the flesh can't change the spirit. The spirit changes the flesh, right? Secondly, let's look at the truth exposed and the truth expounded. Verses 17 to 23. And when he had left the crowd, I'm going to give a little caveat to verse 16 before I move on. That is actually in parentheses because it's actually not found in most texts. It was added, but it's not in the original texts that are as trusted. But it's there because Christ often spoke it, right? He who has ears, let him hear. 
Verse 17, And when he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And it's interesting that he starts here. Matthew's gospel expounds a little bit more. In Matthew chapter 15, we read a little bit more. In verses 12 to 14, this is the same account. Verse 12, Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? They were just like the crowds. I can't believe you just made them mad. I can't believe you would just make them furious. Do you not realize they're really mad? You know why? Truth always makes people mad when they don't want to hear it, when they don't want to look at it. It will always have that effect. If you don't believe me, go on a street corner and preach the gospel and see how many people you make mad. You'll find a lot. You'll find a lot of hostility because you're not being tolerant. But again, neither are they if they refuse to allow us our opinion and our belief. That's another conversation. Verse 13. But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind, and if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into the pit. Do you know the fact that what Jesus was saying is they have chosen willfully the rejection of Yeshua, the Messiah of the Jews? Willfully rejected that after being confronted with the truth over and over and over. So what did he say? Leave them alone. Their judgment is just. Let them be. They're given over to judgment. Because there's a point where when man rejects God, and man walks away, and man hardens his heart. He's no longer able to hear the gospel. And Jesus said, let them alone. Verse 15 tells us that Peter actually asked Jesus to give them understanding. Verse 15, Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And that's where Mark picks up the narrative again. And he starts off with a very interesting statement. And Jesus said to them, are you so lacking understanding also? Again, he starts off with a mild rebuke. Think about it. They are just under a year away from the cross, and they are still desperately struggling with the basic truths of who God is and who man is in God's eyes. And Jesus is saying, do you still lack understanding? The simple truth, the basic truth, is that the priority of inner righteousness will always trump external righteousness, right? It's the inward heart that's the problem. That's what needs to change. The outward expression will come as the inward change. But just because you look fancy like the Pharisees doesn't make you right with God. And he goes back and continues to hit that eternal truth. External ritual never trumps the internal man. And that's what happened. Is the Pharisees taught that it's the externals that mattered. And you know what that does? says the externals are more important than the internal so you can leave that aside as long as you look like this do we see christianity that way today it's the externals if you look like this if you do these things if you say this prayer you're all right the inward person doesn't need to change the day-to-day -day living doesn't need to change 
As long as you sit in that seat, you look like you know how to worship, you're emotional, and you said a simple prayer, which has nothing to do with repentance, then you're all right. Do you see, the devil hasn't changed his tactics. They're still the same. Get man to think that he's good, and you've got a great foothold. But let man understand and see the fact that he's wretched and depraved. You got nothing on that side. Again, here we see the gracious patience of God to explain the deep truths of God's mind to a simple man. Jesus says, Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from the outside cannot defile him because it does not go into his heart but into his stomach and is eliminated thus he declared all foods clean parenthetical note again i'm sure mark being so close to peter he he remembered joppa and what happened to peter and joppa that god declared again to peter look food is okay you can eat this it's not going to defile you but so many of us miss the fact that jesus started back here with that truth it's not what goes in the man that's defiling the man because the stomach takes care of it and eliminates it. It's the heart of a man. It is what makes up the man. So in order for the disciples to understand, Jesus now moves into the spiritual aspect of the explanation, right? He goes from just talking about food to talking about spiritual life. And he does this, and it's great because, you know, our thoughts are evil. How do we know that? Well, Genesis 6, 5 tells us what? When God looked upon the earth, man was completely wicked and all his thoughts and his heart was intent on evil. Right? That's why God destroyed the earth. But is that still true today? Go to Ephesians chapter 2, please. Ephesians chapter 2. Is that still true today? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Ephesians 2 Verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in sons of disobedience. Among them too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Paul again clarifies the fact of that statement that God made in Genesis 6 is still true today because man hasn't changed. Man is still desperately wicked on his own. Man will always choose sin outside of the providential hand of God. Always. So now Jesus moves to explain this in an understanding way that they could take the spiritual aspect and understand it. And it's great because the Pharisees like to make what? They like to make a lot of lists of do's and don'ts. You do all this stuff, you don't do all this stuff. You know what Jesus does? He does the same thing right here. He's like, okay, we're going to teach this in a very simple way. I am going to give you six evil actions and then I'm going to give you six evil attitudes that describe why that action happened. And it's beautiful. And we're going to look at that this morning. First, we're going to look at the evil actions. Bless you. Evil actions, verse, starting in verse 20. 
And he was saying, that which proceeds out of, the, out of the man, that is what defiles him. How so? For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts. Okay, so what are these thoughts? Fornications, right? Sexual sin. That's what Christ is talking about. That's what that word is. It's actually the word pornea, where we get pornography from, right? Sexual sin. Secondly, thefts. That's where we actually get our word kleptomania. You guys understand what that means? Yeah, okay. That's actually the Greek word that Jesus uses, right? Thirdly, murders. Again, that word describes the illicit taking of another's life, right? It's that desire to do so. Four, adulteries, violation of the marriage covenant. Okay, so we already looked at fornication, but he's saying, wait a minute, there's another aspect to this. Over here, adultery is the breaking of a covenant. Fifth, deeds of coveting. It's desires motivated by greed and avarice, right? And then what he does, and I'll, I'll guarantee you, the disciples like, oh, hey, four of those are part of the Ten Commandments. Ah, so what does he do? Now he takes it and he wraps this all in an overarching idea. And that's number six, is wickedness, right? He says so, right here. And he says, deeds of covenant and all wickedness. Well, what does that word wickedness mean? It means iniquity of all things that violate God's holiness. It's God's will and God's commands. It gets down to the love of the heart. Wickedness is a love of the heart for sin, for anything contrary to God. So again, he's pointing back to spiritual truth. Is this all matter? All these things, all these evil actions come from the heart. Then he goes on to, let's give you an idea of evil attitudes. And these evil attitudes lead to those things above. Number one, deceit. Craftiness. Lying. Deception. That's what he's hitting at. Secondly, sensuality. Oh, doesn't that connect with the other ones? Yes, but in the thought of an unbridled lust of a dirty mind. That's what that Greek word is hitting at. Is understanding that those actions come out of the thoughts and the heart desire, right? Unbridled lust of a dirty mind. Envy, which literally means an evil eye. Okay? Fifth, uh, fourthly, slander. It's actually the word blasphemia, which is abusive or injurious speech intentionally toward a person. Fifth, pride, superior, arrogant, self-promotion, the I am's, right, that you're not. But it's the I am's we think we are. And then again, Jesus takes number six and he wraps them all in a really clean basket again. And he ends with what? Foolishness. Now what does that Greek word foolishness mean? It means morally folly and senseless. Moral folly and senseless. He just wrapped all this up. In wickedness, which is a love of the heart for sin, with foolishness, which is moral folly and senselessness. Therefore, our senselessness leads us to a heart of love for sin. Do you see the connection that Jesus is making? It's all bound up in the heart of a man. And the heart of the man teaches the man how to think. 
And what did Solomon say? As a man thinks, so he is, right? It's that understanding that as the heart is corrupt and the heart is wicked, it produces wickedness and sin in a life. It doesn't produce righteousness. Can we follow that train of thought from the Old Testament to the New? Yeah. Ezekiel chapter 36. I'm going to close with a few verses here. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25 through 27. It says, Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all of your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Again, God says, I will give you a new heart. I will put my spirit in you, and you will walk in my ways. Why? Because you have a new heart and a new spirit. And it's caused you to love God and not love sin. Well, is that true in the New Testament? Yes. Turn to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. Titus 3, verses 5 through 7. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and by the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's the same message. Hasn't changed. And it's still true today. That message has not changed because we are over here. That message gives two responses. Romans 1 describes one response. And Romans 10 describes the other response. I could spend a lot of time there, but I'm not going to due to time. But Romans 1 describes the response of a heart that is wretched and rejects God. And Romans 10 describes a heart that is wretched, that by God's grace accepts Christ and the gospel. Yes. <laughs> so we have a new man. I'm going to read a f- four more verses to end. Because it's important. Because it says, All these th- evil things proceed from within and defile the man. So what do we have for hope? What defines the new man that is surrendered to the love of God and to the righteousness of Christ by his power? Philippians 4, verse 8. Philippians 4, verse 8 says this, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence... And if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. You know what he's saying? God is these things. Dwell on him. Place your hearts and your minds and your thoughts on him. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. 
For we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Again, it's the inward man that God is dealing with. And as we are surrendered to God, we take our thoughts captive for the obedience of Christ. 2 Timothy 2.22 2 Timothy 2.22 Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Again, we, that's the things that we are commanded to direct our hearts to. And I'm going to end with Psalm 101. It's a short psalm, so don't freak out that it's a long one. It's a short psalm. Psalm chapter 101, it's a psalm of David. And David says this, For I will sing of loving kindness and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing praises. I will give heed to the blameless way. When will you come to me? I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. I will set no worthless things before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip upon me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will know no evil. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, I will destroy him. No one has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will endure. My eye shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a blameless way, in a way of integrity, is the one who will minister to me. He who practices deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who speaks falsehood shall not maintain his position before me. Every morning I will destroy or silence all the wicked of the land, so as to cut off from the city of the Lord all those who do iniquity. God is not silent. God has never been silent. It's just man has a really good way of plugging his ears and plugging his heart. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, what a heavy message this morning. The message of truth. A message that goes right to the heart. Father, we just pray that our hearts would be right before you. And we know that you are the only one that can change the heart. Father, we pray that as our heart is changed, that we would continue to walk as Christ walked. That we would continue in the love of Jesus Christ and follow his commands. And we pray that we would love the lost just as you did. That we would pursue the hearts of men with the truth of the gospel. Because the gospel is the only thing that changes the heart of a man. Your spirit giving truth and enlightenment to the eyes. Father, we just pray that we would be found faithful to teach and preach the gospel. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.